good to be back with you today. Uh, if I cough a little bit or have a little issue with my throat, I, I just got back from preaching a week of camp, Fuge Camps this past week in Panama City Beach. I uh, got to proclaim the gospel to 700 people over the past five days. It was a glorious thing, several giving their lives today. But I've been preaching a lot this week, and I'm really excited to be preaching today, but just bear with me if I have to cough or get a little bit of water in a minute, okay? You know, we live in a world full of questions, full of questions. Can you even begin to number how many questions you are asked on a daily basis? How many questions you've even been asked today? What time did you wake up this morning? What are you having for breakfast? What did you bring for breakfast at ABF? Did you get the assignment completed this week that we talked about last week? There's silly questions that were asked, like, where's Waldo? And there are serious questions, like, how are you doing? How's your health? How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? I've also noticed that once you have children, the number of questions that you asked on a daily basis exponentially multiply. Any parents in the room can identify with that? Hey, Dad, what does this mean? Dad, what is that? Dad, are we there yet? Dad, will you play with me? And the most important question, why? 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 Over and over again. In the course of your life, you will be asked millions and millions of questions. But I want you to hear me this morning. You will never be asked a more important question than the one that you will be asked today directly from Jesus himself. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? It's perhaps the most important question that's asked in the entire Gospel of Matthew. And it is the most important question ever asked in the history of the world. And how you answer it has eternal significance attached to it. If Jesus is everything that he says he is, if he is who he claims he is, our lives, our world, our eternities will never be the same. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus and his disciples move away from the Sea of Galilee north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Signifying in a ge geographical way, Jesus' movement now to include in his ministry Gentiles. But as they're walking away from the crowds, it also provides an opportunity for Jesus and his disciples to have a, an intimate conversation, an important conversation. You know, Jesus is always discipling, and he never misses an opportunity to make sure that his disciples are certain about what it is that he is asking them to do, and more importantly, who he is that is asking them to do what he is asking them to do. So along the way, he stops and asks his disciples a question. At first, it's a disarming question that he asks. It doesn't put the pressure directly on them. In verse 13 of Matthew 16, he asks, Hey, disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's referring to himself. The term Son of Man is a, a term of self-designation that Jesus uses often in the Gospels. Essentially, he's asking them, hey, what is everybody saying about me? When you're among the crowds, who are, or what are they saying, or who are they saying that I am? So the disciples begin to list off some of the answers that they've heard. 
as they've walked among the crowds, who people have said that Jesus is. We see these in verse 14 of Matthew 16. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some agreed with the assessment that we heard from Herod Antipas earlier in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14, verse 2, that Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist. After all, how could a prophet of that importance and the story of God's redemptive plan have such a short life and such a short ministry? Surely God would bring him back from the dead, and maybe this Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. Some looked to the Old Testament for their answers, and they thought maybe it's Elijah who's come back down from heaven. You remember maybe in 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah didn't die. He was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, riding a chariot of fire. What a way to go, huh? That's a pretty dramatic ending to a life. But because he didn't die, many people thought, many Jewish people thought that one day he would return to do an important ministry to the people of God. And that only intensified given Malachi's prophecy and Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 that talked about a new Elijah. Then others thought that Jesus was the resurrected Jeremiah or another major prophet, because there was some thought among the Jewish people that Isaiah or Jeremiah, a great prophet, would return at some point before the end of the world. And perhaps Jesus was really just now a resurrected prophet from old. A number of opinions given here about who Jesus is. Just as there are today, right? In the same way that there are a number of ideas about who Jesus was back then, there are innumerable amounts of opinions about who Jesus is today. How would you answer today? If Jesus came to you and said, hey, what do people say about me? As you're walking among the crowds, who are people saying that I am? What do they say about Jesus? You know, people recognize that there's something special about Jesus. How, how could he not be special given all that he's inspired for thousands of years since he came upon the earth? But many of them just don't know what to do with him. They'll say things like this. He was obviously a good man. He's a, he's a moral teacher, this Jesus. Or he's a great prophet. But just like in Matthew's gospel, all these potential answers fall short from doing Jesus justice. They don't fully capture who he is or what he means for us as human beings, sinful human beings in need of salvation. It is true that Jesus was a good man. It is true that Jesus was a prophet. It is true that Jesus taught on morality. But he is also much more than those things. He's so much more than those things. And after hearing what the crowds had to say, Jesus wants to now hear directly from his disciples. He puts them on the spot. He puts the, the question directly to them in verse 15. Okay, that's who they say that I am, but who do you say that I am? This is really important, guys. I'm about to entrust some very important things to you. We've heard what the crowds had to say. Now, who do my disciples say that I am? And Peter, God love him, for all that he gets wrong in his life, gets this answer gloriously, gloriously right. Look at verse 16. Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. All of Matthew has been building to this moment, this climax, this confession, this identification of Jesus Christ. Remember, Matthew's writing to the Jewish people. They've been longing for this Messiah. And now through Peter's mouth and through the structure of the gospel of Matthew, we've come to the point where Jesus is identified as the one that we have been longing for. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God, not some fake God, not some God that we created with our own hands, not some dead idol. He is the son of the living God. God has been faithful to his promise. He's been faithful to us Jewish people. He's been faithful to us, O people of God. Jesus is the Messiah. The fulfillment of your hopes is here. Everything is now different. How is it different? Why is this confession so important that it it represents the climax of the gospel of Matthew, that that it represents the answer to the most important question that you or anyone will ever be asked Well, we get a a foretaste of its importance in Christ's response. Why does this realization, why does this declaration matter so much that we come to realize that Jesus is the son of the living God? Let's see how Matthew records the words of Jesus to help us understand why this confession, why this realization is so important not only for our lives, but the future of God's redemptive work. Look at chapter 16, verses 17 to 20. Jesus answers Simon Peter and says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. So he says, you are the living son of God. And, And Jesus says, blessed are you, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This confession, this declaration, This answer that Peter gives is the most important declaration of our lives because it is the foundation of our hope. It is the clear evidence of the work of the gospel in us and through us for his glory. Jesus, being the Christ, secures God's redemptive plan for our lives. All this talk about salvation, all this talk about deliverance, all this talk about sending a Messiah to rescue you from our, our greater sinful bondage has happened. It's evidence of God's ongoing work in us and through us. It's the foundation of the church and it's the guarantee of our victory as the church. It's a pretty important declaration, wouldn't you say? When you think about how it provides evidence of God's redemptive work and forms the foundation of that redemptive work moving forward until his return. Think about this. The fact that Jesus is the son of God, the son of the living God, is the central declaration of the gospel. And it provides the foundation for the church 
and the guarantee of our victory as the church. If Jesus is not the Son of God, we have no hope. If Jesus is the Son of the living God, we are filled and overcome and overwhelmed with eternal hope. So let's break down a little bit more the importance that Jesus outlines for us about this declaration of Peter and why it's so important. Why why we need to answer this question rightly, who is Jesus? Firstly, as the work of the gospel, Peter's declaration, Jesus says, is the foundation of the church. Look at what Jesus says in response to Peter's declaration in verse 17. I am the son of the living God, and blessed are you, son of John, because God's spirit is clearly at work upon you. And because this declaration of faith will be the cornerstone of the new people that I am forming for my glory. Blessed are you, Peter, because God's clearly at work in your life. And the work that he is doing is going to provide the foundation for my people who will confess this for all time until I return. This statement of faith that Peter offers is the cornerstone of the Christian church. To be a Christian, to be a Christian means that you have identified with Jesus as the Christ and now identify with him as the Christ. You've identified Jesus as the Christ, and now you are living your life in such a way that you want to identify with him as the Christ. You've identified him, and now you want to identify with him. That's what the Bible teaches. And by the way, it's what we just witnessed in baptism, praise the Lord, right? That, That these friends have said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And now I want to live my life as he lived his life for his glory. I've identified him, and now I want to identify with him. Friends, we were blind in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses. We were children of wrath, awaiting a future of judgment and an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Yet God, but God, who was abundant in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And he has done this by awaking us to the truth of the gospel, to the reality of who Christ is, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who has come to save us. He's our great deliverer. He's our singular hope. He uniquely reveals the Father and provides a way for us to be restored into right relationship with him. As Christians, we acknowledge this. More than that, we declare this. And we must. Otherwise, we are not Christians. Now, I'm going to say this with love. But I say it with confidence because of what the word of God says. You are not a Christian if you think Jesus was just a good man. You are not a Christian if you think he is just a moral teacher who offers a good path to try to follow. You are not a Christian if you think Jesus was just another prophet. You are not a Christian because all of those things are simply human wisdom and human observation. Anybody 
could come to those realizations apart from God's work. There's no evidence in those statements that the Spirit of God is working upon you, moving you from death to life, opening your eyes to the fullness of who Jesus is. If, however, you are able to say in faith that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the incarnate one, the God-man who stepped down from heaven onto the earth, taking on human flesh, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, only to be literally and physically raised three days later. Then, friends, that is evidence that God's spirit is at work upon you and is leading you to salvation, which can only come from him. That's a supernatural declaration No human wisdom could devise such a glorious plan. No human wisdom could cause us to believe what God has authored in Christ. You cannot get to that confession on your own. God has to lead you there. And we praise the Lord that all of us in this room who have declared what Peter has declared were led there by the gracious revelation and work of God through his spirit and in Jesus. You can't know God unless God shows up and shows himself to you. You can't see this about Jesus unless he graciously reveals it to you. God has led us to him. And he's also led us to a people. And the confession that we acknowledge that God has worked in our life and has saved us is what brings us together with this people. He's led us to himself and to this people that he is forming for himself. God gathers those he saves into a people, a confessing people, joined together by the work of God for the work of God. That's what Peter was reminding us of in the passage that we read earlier today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, do you remember? We're going to turn there. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 10. And this is Peter writing, and he heard Jesus talk about the church directly from his own mouth. Here's what he says about the people of God. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You're living stones because you've been brought to life by the confession that Peter confessed in Matthew 16. And now he's taking all of those stones and he's building them together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies, and aren't there many to proclaim, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
This confession that we see in Matthew 16 is the foundation of the new people that God is forming for himself and that will continue the ministry of Christ until he returns. Jesus says to Peter, that confession, that declaration that was given to you by God, I'm gonna use all the people that God reveals that to to form a new people to continue my ministry, to build the kingdom, to advance the gospel until I'm ready to bring time to an end. I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna build you, I'm gonna use you for my glory. God reveals, God builds his people for his glory to push forward the gospel, making disciples of all nations, extending the ministry of Jesus. Now I wanna get an important note here because This passage has been one of the most misinterpreted and abused passages in the history of the church. Let's be clear what Jesus is saying to Peter here, okay? Jesus is not saying that Peter will be unique in the course of history, setting the stage for a Pope-like figure. I think it's a misinterpretation of this passage, which has had a tremendous effect on the church. Rather, Jesus is utilizing a play on words to make an extraordinary point. Now, this is where the English doesn't fully represent what the Greek is doing. Because if you were to look at this passage in the Greek, you would see some fun things happening in the language. Can the Greek language be fun, Jared? Yes, it can be fun. And this is a moment where it is fun. And in the Greek, Peter's name is Petros. Petros. Does anybody in here know the word for rock in the Greek? Petra. Petra. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's he's using a play on words to say, Peter, Petros, I'm going to use your confession as a Petra to build my church upon. Petros, Petra. Petros, Petra. The whole point is he's, he's using the confession of Peter, not Peter himself, the confession that was given by God to say that's going to be the representation of who I'm going to use to build my church, to build my kingdom for my glory. So wow, this is a personal moment between Jesus and Peter. And Peter is unique in the sense that this confession is first and he is an apostle. He is not unique in the sense that he becomes a singular power, apostolic power that will be passed down for generations through the church in the formation of the church. Something different is happening here. And anybody who confesses what Peter confesses will be used to build the church in the same way. It is, comp- it is important, this confession, because it is the central confession of a confessional church. And we are a confessional church. While you are certainly welcome to be here today and worship with us, you can't be a part of this church unless you have confessed what Peter has confessed. Because we are a regenerate church membership kind of church, a confessional church. To be a part of this visible church, you have to be a part of the invisible church which means that you have confessed that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. It's foundational to the church. Secondly, 
This declaration is important because it is the guarantee of our victory in Christ as the church. The church's victory. It represents for us the certain victory that God will bring about through his son, the Christ. Think about this. Because Jesus is who he said he is, and because God is the one building his church, because you can't be a church unless you've confessed, and you can't confess unless God reveals it to you. So he's the one building. Because Jesus is who he says he is, and because God is the one building his church, Jesus says in verse 18 that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that hope-filled, this guarantee of victory? There's no power that is greater than the power of Christ. And he has given that power to the church, the true church, those who are born again. Listen, if the church were man's idea, it would fall apart. It would. Goodness. Look how much is wrong, even with the fact that the church is God's idea, right? I mean, we fight, we disagree, we stumble, and that's with the power of God holding us together. Can you imagine what would take place if we didn't have the power of God upon us? We would divide. We would tear each other apart. The church would not exist. Friends, I don't want to be a part of anything that man builds. It won't stand. But because we are God's people, because we are a confessing people, because we are one in faith and one in spirit, something different is taking place in this people that God is building. We are a supernatural people given supernatural power to overcome supernatural forces of evil and darkness. Verse 19, we have been given the keys of heaven. We have been given the authority as the people of God, the confessing people of God, to bind and to loose. What in the world does that mean, Jeroboam? Essentially, think of it this way, that we have been given the power and the authority to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and restrict entrance into the church to only those who have arrived at the same confession that we have confessed because it is evidence of God's work of the gospel in their lives. When we do that, we protect the church, we keep her pure, and so long as we are a people built by God, there is nothing that comes against us that can overtake us. Because ultimately, that's all the work of Christ. He's the one who saves, he's the one who builds. All of this to say, we could be very discouraged about the state of the current church in America and around the world. We've seen in the past how politics, worship discussions, moral issues, I think even the past couple of years in the SBC about issues of sexual abuse and racism, how they've threatened the foundation of the church. We could be discouraged if you're keeping up with it, about what's happening right now on Twitter in the Southern Baptist Convention as the large convention, the national convention, prepares to meet next week. There's a lot of divisiveness, a lot of ugly language going around, people calling each other names, threatening the witness of the SBC. And if you haven't engaged in it, don't go look at it. It's not worth your time. It just discourage you. We could read church history and be sobered and discouraged by all the ways the people of God have come after each other and misrepresented the Christ who saved them. 
We could be discouraged in that way. The enemy's at work. He's trying to prevail against the church because he knows what the success of the church will mean for him and his friends. But we could also be amazed. We could also be encouraged that through all of that, God has sustained his church. For thousands of years, through thousands of failings, Jesus is still glorious. His gospel is still good. There are still faithful churches standing. The work continues and God will purify his people he will remove lampstands when we're not being faithful, but the work continues. He's still saving people. He's still building his church. And despite whatever the enemy throws at us, even when he comes, his hardest at us, he will not succeed. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We can say with confidence that if God is the builder, his church will stand. If it's not the builder, we labor in vain. But if he's the builder of this house, he's going to build it. Praise God. He's going to build his church. This is good news because the church is continued evidence of God's saving and redemptive work. The work that began in Christ, the work that we confess is continuing through the church, the body of Christ. Listen, as long as the church exists, we should be encouraged because God is still working. He's still revealing himself. He's still calling people out of darkness. He's still giving them the ability to see Jesus for who he is and confess that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. God is still at work. And the church is evidence of the fact that God is still at work as we saw this morning. If the church exists, God's still working. And guess what? The church will always exist, both now and for all of eternity a people who are built here for the hereafter. Friends, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon that confession, Jesus will build his church and nothing will stop it. Be encouraged today. Be encouraged today. By the evidence of God's work all around you and the guarantee of victory that we have in Jesus. How should we respond this morning to the preaching of God's word? Let me just offer three responses for you to consider in light of what we've talked about and this central question of humanity, the central question of the gospel of Matthew. Firstly, let's make sure we get Jesus right. If you don't hear anything else from me today, hear this. You gotta get Jesus right. It's the most important decision you will ever make Eternity is on the line. When asked the question, who do you say that Jesus is? How will you answer? Do you believe he was just a good teacher, prophet, a great man in the history of the world? Or have you ever come to the point when by the grace of God, you've realized that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And give your life to him. If you haven't, oh, would today be the day? 
when you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that you would be saved. That by the power of the Spirit, you would say that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. And you want to give your life to him now and for all eternity. Let's make sure we get Jesus right. And friends, don't ever lose sight of who he is. It's too important. This whole passage is a Christological passage. Jesus wants his disciples, if you're in Christ, you are a disciple. He wants to make sure that we get him right. Let's get Jesus right. And then, secondly, let's protect the body of Christ. God uses this confession to build his church. Friends, this is why membership matters. This is why it's important that we have gates and guardrails about who gets to be a part of this body, both on the front side and the back side. Membership, church discipline, these things aren't just ideas that are just randomly placed in the scripture. They are important for the purity, protection, and the advancement of the church. So we want you to hear me today. If you are a believer if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you've confessed as Peter confessed that Jesus is the son of the living God and you would desire to be a part of this body, we would wholeheartedly welcome you. Wholeheartedly welcome you. We would be sure that you understand the gospel, but then we would welcome you into the body of Christ because that is the requirement that is the foundation of him building his church. But let's all be in agreement that if someone is not a believer, they cannot be a part of the church because we're doing spiritual work and we need spiritual discernment to do this spiritual work and it would be dangerous to let someone who God has not saved into the church because he is not a living stone that God is using to build his church. So how could we say something that Christ has not said. Does it mean that we, don't stop, that we stop ministering to them? Surely we'll continue to share the gospel and, and minister and develop, but it's important that we have guardrails on the church to make sure that the people who are in the church are people whom God has brought to build the church. So let's protect the body of Christ because it matters. It matters. And finally, let's rest in the victory of Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And there's no power that comes against us as his people that is greater than the power that we have in Christ. He will build his church. He will lead us to certain victory. And friends, you can rest in that. You may be worried or concerned about the church. You may be worried or concerned about the future. But guys, we know how this ends. We know how it ends. And if God has authored it, if God has promised it, it will happen. Let's rest in that. Praise the Lord. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads and spend some time before the Lord in prayer? Asking him to help you know how to respond in faithfulness to the word of God. Have you gotten Jesus right? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ to you? For the rest of us, are we committed 
to protecting this bride that we've been called to, this confessional church built upon that confession, and are we resting in the victory of Christ? What hope we've been given in Jesus. Let's rest in that today. Father, would you help us be faithful in our response as you lead us? Thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus. Thank you that you have called us from death to life. And thank you that you have built us into a people for your glory. May we never take those things for granted. And may we be faithful here until you return to take us home, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand and let's sing to this glorious God.